I'm going to start off with Job chapter 12, verse 23 this morning, and I want to make something very clear right off the bat, that it's the Lord that enlarges, directs, and guides nations. And as all of our eyes seem to be on, the, on what's happening in the national spotlight with the presidential race, the, the racial divide, all of the divisions and struggles in our nation, I want to challenge you to get your eyes on the Lord because the Lord knows exactly what he wants to do in our lives, and I trust him with our nation. I was born and raised in this nation. I am proud to be an American. I love all the nations of the world, but I also really love my country. And I believe that God put me in this nation and in this city for a reason. When I first came to Corpus Christi, I ran into all kinds of people that complained about this city. They asked me, why in the world would you move to Corpus Christi? Seriously, I ran into people that didn't like this city. And I had real struggles with Corpus Christi when I first moved here. I really didn't like the city. But I had to ask the Lord to give me a heart change and to see things the way that he sees things. You have to understand that nations are important to the Lord. I did a teaching uh, last year sometime talking about our call to the nations. Ultimately, God is going to rescue and ransom the nations. And leaders that choose to live contrary to him, he will shift or change. And in Revelation, it says, Revelation 4.16, I believe it says that every nation, tribe, and tongue will come to the Lord. So I already know that this nation belongs to the Lord. And there's a lot of great teachings that I could do about that. First of all, you have to realize that God will save a nation if there's just 10 righteous people in it. Same with Sodom and Gomorrah. America is not Sodom and Gomorrah. However, America has sin issues that are rooted inside of it that need to be rooted out. In many ways, it's sinful to the core. But God loves this nation, and it's full of people that love him. Last Saturday, there was a, about, I don't know, 100,000 people that met on the Washington Mall for the return, and uh, some of our congregants had a chance to go, and there was an entire day of people repenting, not only for the sins of our land, but for sins in their own heart and things that we know are contrary to God's heart in our nation. And there are, you have to realize that even though Corpus Christi seems like such a small microcosm, and even our church... We are a part of a family of hundreds and thousands and millions of Christians that love God all over the world, okay? And so I believe that God is going to save our nation. I believe God has a great purpose and call for our nation, and I believe that we have a very important role and part to play in that. So what I first want you to see is that God's the one that makes nations great, or he's the one that destroys them. He's also the one that enlarges nations, or he's the one that guides nations, now, the difference between saving and destroying all comes down to our hearts. It all comes down to whether we choose to repent or not. It, it all comes down to whether we choose to trust in what Jesus did on the cross alone or not. I'm not out to make any of you a better person. I'm not out to make any of you to be good people. There's nobody that's good. All of our hearts are deceitfully wicked. Now, that's a tough statement. It's one I didn't really want to admit to my own self until about 10 weeks ago when God pulled back the veil on my own heart after walking with him for 28 years. And now I'm like, okay, yes, even the thoughts of my heart. See, when you think something but don't say it, it's even worse to the Lord because it's rooted inside of you. And I've spent nine straight weeks of repenting for things that I thought but didn't say right here publicly. So we're not going to be pretentious. We're not going to fake it. I'm not trying to make you a nice, good person. Jesus said nobody is good except the Father in heaven. And some of you feel so beat down. Some of you are battling how you feel like God sees you because you don't think you're good enough or you're worthy enough. And I have a newsflash for you. You'll never be good enough or worthy enough. God takes you as you are and died on the cross in the midst of your greatest dysfunction. Yeah! That should get you so fired up. Let's just, let's just break the myth right now. Some of you are feeling so much condemnation because you feel like you're not worthy or you're failing and you have full, all these shortcomings. You're never going to be good enough. And that's the truth. And the faster you can recognize that's the faster that you'll be free. But that doesn't give you license and liberty to continue to live in wickedness or sin. Now, if you are, which I have, I've made more mistakes as a Christian than before I was a Christian. 
You know why? Because I actually knew better. Before I gave my life to the Lord, I had no care or concern of what I was doing, and I had no conviction or ever thought twice about what I was doing. Once I came to know the Lord, I had conviction, and many times, despite that conviction, I still do things that I shouldn't do. But here's the good news. This is the gospel. The good news is, is you cannot be moral enough. Does God call us to live moral? Yes, but it only comes from the blood of Jesus and the cross, and that's the good news. You can never earn it or deserve it. But, but righteous position because of the cross requires righteous living because of who we become. And it only, it only goes in that order. It's not faith plus works equals salvation. It's faith alone. Do you understand that? Faith works by love. And when love is actively working in your life with faith, what happens? Salvation. Faith and love is what produces works. Faith and love in Christ is ultimately what saves us. This is the good news of the gospel, guys. And I come in here every week and I see so many of you beat down, full of shame. You failed it. You blew it. And I understand you're in process. And I also understand that God's grace and mercy is available right now. This is the great news. Grace and mercy is available. It doesn't give you license to continue to sin. And we'll talk about that. But even when you do, there's grace and mercy that's constantly available. Isaiah 55 says, seek the Lord while he may be found. And guess what? He can be found. Easy. As fast as you sin, it's as fast as you can rep repent. And God doesn't hold it against you. I'll read to you a scripture here in a little bit from 2 Corinthians 5, where it says that all of us are going to give account on the judgment day of the things we've done, whether good or bad. Guess when you'll be accounted for the bad things if you don't repent. But if you repent, he doesn't remember it anymore. Sin does the damage to us. God in his mercy and love and kindness rescues you out of it. I hurt myself and others and sin against him when I choose to live contrary to his design. But he's always reaching out to love you and grab you, not beat you down and kill you. If he wanted to kill you, most of us would probably be dead. Am I right? But God in his grace and mercy and compassion is always there. But it doesn't give us the freedom to live wickedly. And if we continue to live wickedly, ultimately we will experience something none of us ever want to experience. And it's called the wrath of God. And because we don't understand the wrath of God, we never talk about it. Or we don't know what it really means. And the truth is, is the wrath of God really is something that's coming to people that stay obstinate and unrepentant. And choose to keep doing whatever they want to do and ignore him or reject him. Don't be that guy. You don't want to be that person. It's a terrifying thing to experience the wrath of God. I don't believe I've ever experienced it. I've experienced what I would consider the terror of the Lord when I saw my own depravity, when I realized what it looks like to be in total fear absent of the perfect love of God about 10 weeks ago. But God was so right there to forgive me and love me and affirm me and comfort me and strengthen me and pull me out of it because he loves me so perfectly. We're not going to talk about the wrath of God today in detail, though it's something that you really need to understand because Jesus talked about the wrath of God in John chapter 3, verse 36. When people choose to stay obstinate against him and disobedient and not live for him or surrender their lives to him, ultimately that's what they will experience. Why? Because our lives do just injustice to other people's lives. And so when you see the scripture that he is the one that saves or destroys is that ultimately there will be destruction for those that choose not to surrender to him. But here's the great news. Jesus died on the cross and you have another chance and another chance. He's a God of a million. He's not even the God of a second chance. He's a God of a million chances. It's so amazing how he could love it. It gets me so far. It's better than the lottery. Because I have been reconciled back to God, even though I didn't deserve it, now I'm so excited to tell you about it. But when nations and people choose to stay obstinate, and they choose to live in wickedness and reject him, it leads to destruction. 
that was my life. So for those of you that don't know, I'll share just a snippet of my story. We have a lot of new people here that are, that are coming. But I was born out of wedlock. My mom was a 24-year-old Greek girl, 100% Greek, spoke broken English, got hooked up with a entertainment industry guy. She was doing lawyers and doctors and TV personalities hair. She was a hairdresser. She was a hairdresser by day and a cocktail waitress by night, and she got pregnant with me. My dad said to my little Greek mom, are you sure you want to have him? Which meant you could always get an abortion, though abortions were illegal in 1970, the year that I was born, right? And so my dad, when my mom had me, my dad hightailed it when I was one to California. And so my mom had me in a babysitter all day long, a very, very poor babysitter. And I hated it. I hated it so much. And I had a dad that my mom met when she was waitressing. They never actually got married, but I consider him my dad because he raised me since the age of five. He really put the spirit of adoption into my heart, though he didn't know the Lord at all. So he, he didn't teach me really the ways of God, or we didn't really pray or read the Bible. And I didn't really know the Lord growing up. And so in turn, what happened? I got influenced by the world. I started selling drugs, and I would travel to Miami in the summers, and I would meet a bunch of Cuban friends that were smuggling cocaine from Cuba this is the days of Scarface, by the, way, by the way. We've got to go back to the 80s to understand the world that I lived in. And so I started going to parties and clubs and concerts, and there was no Jesus present in my life. And then in turn, I was sleeping around and selling drugs, and I did a lot of things that I wish I wouldn't have done. I lived for myself, and I slept around, and I hurt people's lives, and I, I sold drugs, and I just did terrible things. But I don't live in any regret for that. I have zero regret. Do I wish I, am I glad I'd done it? No. Do I wish I wouldn't have? Yes, I wish I wouldn't have. But I don't have any regret. You know why? Because I'm born again now. And I felt really terrible for what I did when God finally revealed himself to me, so I repented. See, the Bible says that godly sorrow leads to repentance, which leads to salvation. I'm a new creation now. In fact, all those horrible things that I did to other people's lives are now a story and a testimony to save people's lives. Amen. Here I am, 28 years later, fired up for Jesus, proclaiming the gospel, using the story of what the devil meant for evil. Now God's using it for good to save people. And that's going to happen to you, to you. It's already happened to so many of you. You're never stuck. Even if you're in the midst of depression and addiction, living a life of sin, contrary to God's design, God right now wants to pull you out of it and save you. And ultimately, your mess and your troubles today will be your ministry tomorrow. Isn't that right? Amen. Yeah. And we need people that won't ever give up on you, but will tell you the truth. Not itching ears, but understanding that God loves you and he cares about you and he's never going to stop giving up on you. But when we live contrary to his design, it brings sickness and death and destruction and broken relationships and all kinds of hurtful things and ultimately can destroy a nation. But in this nation, there's lots of righteous people. This nation belongs to the Lord, but we have an onus and a responsibility. So if you're upset about the things that are happening in our nation, then you need to do something about it. You can't stay silent. You can't just live in your us for no more, no more nice Christian suburbia American home. We have a responsibility. And this is a church that's going to answer the call to the responsibility. We're going to be vocal. We're going to be passionate. And we're going to be vocal and passionate the way that Jesus would. Not the way that we think we should. And so I'll start with Proverbs chapter 11. And by the way, you can turn there, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 10 and 11. By the way, I repented. It just took prison, getting busted, and a Category 5 hurricane. But finally, God got my attention. You know how when it rains, it pours? Have you ever had that happen to your life? That's how it works. God has a way of rescuing you out. And eventually, you get tired of beating your head against a wall and saying, I don't want to live contrary to God's design anymore. And you know why God does that? It's because he loves you. He won't let you stay the same. 
And so I repented. But what if I didn't repent? I'd be dead. I'd be in prison. Or I would have continued to leave a life of destruction, hurting people. And ultimately, the Bible says I would have been storing up for myself the wrath of God one day. You don't want to experience the wrath of God. And I'm not saying this to put fear inside your heart. What I'm saying to you is, is God in his love and his kindness and mercy wants to rescue you right now. And you don't have to wait until anything in the future. God gives you another chance right now. He wants to reconcile you back to him. So Proverbs 11, verse 10, the blessing that rests on the righteous releases strength and favor to an entire city. Let's just pause there. So I know that I have a responsibility to make a difference in this city, not just by pastoring a church or owning a business. One day, a package was delivered to my house that was designed to be delivered to somebody else's house on Flower Bluff Drive, but I live on Waldron Road, same address. So I looked up this person online, and I found her, and I messaged her on Facebook. She's like, oh my gosh, I've been looking for this package. So she comes over to get it. We meet. I tell her who I am. She's like, you know what? You really ought to consider being a board member on the Flower Bluff Citizens Council. And I'm like, okay, Lord, is that you? She's like, yeah, I set this up. I want you to, to lead on the Flower Bluff Citizens Council. So then one day, a pastor that I have been connected to with here in the city comes up to me and says, hey, I really feel like you're supposed to be on the ethics commission, and I'm going to step down, and I want you to take my place, and I'm going to lobby for you to get my position. Because to get on the ethics commission, you have to be voted in with the two-thirds majority of the city council. But fortunately, I had built a lot of good relationships with the city council members, and so I asked the Lord, and the Lord said yes. Now, you have to understand, I have a six- and seven-year-old, three coffee shops, and a growing church and a shopping center, and a wife... Let's just go back and start there. And I'd like to have some sort of social life and go to the gym and have quiet time. It's about near impossible to do all those things. But I do make my priority to spend a lot of time with the Lord, even at the expense of sacrificing meetings. And a lot of people say, well, pastor, you're so busy, you never have time. You know why? Because I spend a lot of time with the Lord and my kids because I'm never going to get that time back. There's going to come a day when my six and seven-year-old don't want me to rub their back at the end of the night. (laughs) They're going to think you're crazy. (laughs) So I soak up every minute. I would suggest all of you do the same, no matter what you're at. Don't wait until you're 50 and then you have little kids and then, or you look back and wish that you would have done something different. And if you did do something different, God in his mercy and grace will give you another chance. You know why? There's about 100 kids here, and there's lots of families, and you have an opportunity, and God will bring you new spiritual sons and daughters. It is never too late. Do not live in regret. Ask for mercy and forgiveness, and trust that God can restore all things. He's a restorer of all things, okay? And if you're young you have a great opportunity to not make the mistakes that I made that when I was 21 and 22, following the Grateful Dead, selling drugs and going to ladies' nights and clubbing around and doing all those things. You can do it one of two ways. You can do it the easy way or you can do it the hard way. I highly suggest the easy way. And if you've already done it the hard way, it's time to repent. It means to change the way that you think, which will change the way that you live. God loves you. He cares for you. He'll fight for you and he'll help you. And even when you bomb it and blow it, and his mercy and grace is always there. Okay? And so, everybody say, I am a blessing. So you, as a Christian, by putting belief in Jesus Christ and getting born again, you are put into right standing with God and become a blessing. Righteous position does require righteous living, but I'm not trying to make you more moral. I'm trying to make you more like Jesus and to be spirit-led in everything that you do. And then in turn, you become a blessing. I employ, I don't know, 20-something people. We pay a lot of sales tax that goes to this city. I have the opportunity to influence a lot of people. We own a shopping center. None of that I could have done in my best day, but as I surrendered to the Lord, God said, I'm going to put you in a position to influence great change. Now, you're going to see that it's the righteous. Here in a minute, I'm going to show you a scripture that says the righteous literally can save a nation or exalt in a nation. Faith moves the heart of God, not just need. And so the blessing that rests on the righteous 
which is you're made righteous by who you are, releases strength and favor to an entire city. Next verse. Or next screen. But shouts of joy will be heard when the wicked one dies. Now, I'm not wishing death to my enemies, but what I understand is there is a wicked one. His name is Satan and the devil. And he doesn't drive by your house every two weeks and go, oh, there's Ram. I think I'll attack him and Andy. No, he works full-time, overtime, all the time. In fact, Revelation 12 says that the devil knows his time is short, and so he's filled with fury to destroy your life. He doesn't want you to hear this gospel. He doesn't want you to hear what I'm saying. So he's really trying hard to blind people's eyes. But I'm really trying hard with the Holy Spirit to open your eyes. And not just you, but the entire world around us. Because I've been set free and I'm fired up, and you should be too. And so shouts of joy will be heard when the wicked one dies. Look, I don't want anybody to die. I want them to be saved. Even the Johns that are pimping prostitutes. Even the pedophile I want to see get born again. But if the pedophile and the Johns and the human traffickers and the porn producers and all these people that are doing all these terrible things to other people's lives, if they stay unrepentant, they're ultimately going to die. And at the end of the day, it's going to produce righteousness in the land. And one day, God is going to do away with all weeping and tears and sadness and brokenness and fatherlessness. One day, all of that is going to be done away with. But for right now, I want to rescue those people out. Let's go to the next verse. The blessing of favor resting upon the righteous influences a city to lift it higher, but wicked leaders tear it apart by their words. Okay, so go back a slide. The blessing of favor resting upon the righteous influences the city to lift it higher. So if there's corruption with the city council, guess who's on the ethics commission? If you have a complaint, if any of you here feel like any government, city department heads or city leaders or governmental leaders are corrupt, you have an ability to file a complaint that will come before me and seven or eight other commissioners to verify whether that's true or accurate and then deal with it. I can't stand up here and tell you to be responsible civ civically if I'm not. And it can't just be here. You say, well, pastor, how in the world do you do two, com two, two of these board commissions and the church? And I'll tell you how. Because when you get expanded on the inside, God expands you on the outside. It doesn't go the other way around. If you want more influence, you got to start expanding on the inside. If you want your business to grow and your finances to grow, if you want to be in a great position to influence change, see, we're the influencers, not them. We're not a little subculture. Christianity is not a subculture. It's the standard. But we act like little sheep being led to the slaughter by the world. I'm not a sheep to the world. I'm a sheep to Jesus, the shepherd. You don't have to go along with what anybody says. You go along with what Jesus says. And that doesn't make me defiant to government officials, but what it does make me do is to be bold and confident to stand up for God's truth and God's life. And if I'm told to do something that's contrary to God's design, I don't have to do it because I'm submitted to him. And if God says even pay taxes, even when taxes are being used for abortions. So I'm going to pay my taxes. The, the blessing of favor resting upon the righteous influences the city to lift it higher, but wicked leaders tell it, tear it apart. And so I wrote this down. I said, what we, all, what we say all comes down to perspective and what we see. Not only does this apply to your immediate community and city, but also to a nation that we all call home. I was born in Cedars of Lebanon Hospital in Miami Beach, Florida, and I love my nation. This nation has done a lot when it comes to foreign aid and helping a lot of people, but it also has done a lot of horrible, terrible things that we're called to root out. I'm not going to be pretentious about it. But from the very beginning, this nation was founded on Christian principles. And I can show you right now, like here's a great quote from Patrick Henry. He was a ratifier of the U.S. Constitution. He said, it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. 
not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. For this very reason, peoples of other faiths have been afforded asylum, prosperity, and freedom to worship here. You know who Benjamin Rush is? Benjamin Rush was the signer of the Declaration of Independence, a signer of the Declaration of Independence and a ratifier of the U.S. Constitution. He said the gospel of Jesus Christ prescribes the wisest rulers for just conduct in every situation of life. Happier they who are enabled to obey them in all situations. He said, if moral precepts alone could have reformed mankind, the mission of the Son of God into all the world would have been unnecessary. It's not about being moral. It's about being surrendered to a king and expressing him in everything that we say and do and how we reflect to the world around us. So we can't just sit idly by. I'm going to quote to you some great quotes from Martin Luther King, and it's not even Martin Luther King Day. The hottest place in hell is reserved for those who remain neutral in times of great moral conflict. Every man must decide whether he will walk in the light of creative altruism or in the darkness of destructive selfishness. Nothing in all the world is more dangerous than sincere ignorance and conscientious stupidity. If a man has not discovered something he will die for, he's not fit to live. A nation or civilization that continues to produce soft-minded men purchases its own spiritual death on an installment plan. And there's more. We can't just be silent. But everything I do has to be done with perfect love and righteousness and understanding grace and mercy in the midst of it. I'm not better than you. I'm not more favored than you. I'm not more respected than you. God didn't go eeny, meeny, miny, mo. He didn't pull out the little petals of a daisy and say, he loves me, he loves me not, I love him, and I love her not. We all have to make the same choices, put our pants on the same way, and live the same lives, but we all choose to honor him or not honor him. And even when I make mistakes, I know there's mercy and grace, and I make a lot of them. All of our hearts can be deceitfully wicked. We all need Jesus as much as one another. But through my failures and mistakes, I've made enough of them that I've said I can't, I'm so tired. I hate it. I hate that thing. I know I'm not condemned, but the conviction, the constant conviction is a miserable experience. I don't want to live, I want to live in real pleasure and delight. And if I'm not looking at him, I'm going to be looking at something I shouldn't look at. Do you understand? Which means I have to be overly aggressive, not a nice Christian. And we're bored with Christianity, and we're bored when we come to church because there's very little supernatural activity in most of our lives. That's why we have supernormal natural nights, because you need the power of God. You need to be jolted with lightning. You need to see signs and wonders and miracles because they establish you. And not just come on nice Sunday mornings to do our Christian duty and make us feel better. Where's the power of God active in our lives? Because Psalm 103, 7 says the acts of God lead to the ways of God. He made his ways known to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel. You need, a, you need a lightning strike. You need a prophetic word. You need an encounter. That's why we'll have the conference at the end of this month. But we do it on Wednesday nights. And I know it's hard. I'm not out to beat you up about a Wednesday night. But what I'm saying to you is, is that... I can't live the same. If we have a nice Christian services with good preaching and nice 30-minute worship, it's going to bore me out of my mind, and I won't want to be here. And I don't think this church is near aggressive enough. And it's my own church. I mean, it's his church, but you have to understand. Where is this church going? I don't need another nice big mega church with more programs and more structure. We need the power of God and real outpouring of the Spirit and let God do what God does best. And I take my hands off the wheel. But that's going to require something from you. Because if I hand you the microphone and this is all about you and your agenda and your ministry and your problems and your platform, then you don't get the microphone. But if you want to really in perfect love transform lives and release the power of God outside of you, then this is your microphone. And you can fail too. Because I failed a lot. 
I'm amazed how much I preached out of one side of my mouth and then said something else on the other side of my mouth. And I spent nine straight weeks repenting for it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake. I'll show you a scripture here in a minute where some of you need to get ecstatically out of your mind. Because it's for God. I'm talking about encounters with the Lord that transform you. And so, there's something very profound about the way people choose to live their lives. And I choose to live my life with lots of grace and mercy and repentance and my eyes on Jesus, not on the things of this world. And if I ever get my eyes off Jesus, which I do, I'm quick to get them back on him. Learn that. Stop walking in shame and condemnation, but start doing the right thing because it will promote you in your life and God will exalt not only you, but he will exalt the city and the nation. I, w- I don't want just a better place to live in a better, cleaner community. I want a place that's full of God's presence and power and life where healing can really happen and lives can be transformed. That's what I want. And so I can't be silent. Neither can you. What you say all comes down to perspective and what you see. Not only does this apply to your immediate community and city, but also to the nation that we all call home. We have authority divinely instilled within us and by our new nature. Authority to speak, delegate, direct, and lead as Jesus does. Hence, we're called ambassadors. Did you know that you're called an ambassador? You know what an ambassador is? An ambassador is a delegated representative that has full authority to make decisions on behalf of the king. I'm not a subculture. Neither are you. The kingdom of God is the standard on earth. The problem is, is most of us aren't walking in that authority. You know why? Because we don't know what God has to say about it. Sadly, a lot of Christians don't read their Bibles and really apply themselves to learn what God says about power and authority and who we are as sons and daughters. I'm a son of a king, and you're a daughter, and you're a son, and a daughter, and a son, and a daughter. And the list goes on. And because of that, you have inherent power and authority to affect change in the land around you. It's easy to see the problems and sin issues plaguing our society, but it's even easier to be a part of the problem if you wanted to. Whether it's blatant disregard for the lives of others and how we live both publicly and privately, how we treat people, when we choose not to vote and influence the world around us, or we simply remain quiet when Jesus commands us to speak. Christians cannot stay quiet, but we also should only be speaking what the Lord tells us to speak. In fact, I like Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16, says that you are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. The Passion says, Your lives light up the world. Let others see your light from a distance. For how can you hide a city that stands on a hilltop? You're not the city in a valley. You're not a city in a dungeon. We're a city on a hill. God calls us a city. We're actually a nation within a nation. We're the kingdom of God. Put here for a purpose and a plan to affect positive change. And here's the great news. Because I look, when I look around this crowd every Sunday morning, I see ethnic, different ethnicities. I see different socioeconomic backgrounds, education backgrounds. None of that is predicated on your ability to influence the world around you, according to God's standard. In fact, God will often use the most uneducated people or those that seemingly seem to be the weak. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't be educated. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't have understanding and insight. I think you should read a lot of different books and understand that God pours out his spirit on the world and the church. And so you can learn things even when people don't realize that God is using them. I have a degree. I'm in the, bus- in the marketplace. I understand business really, really well. I think I'm pretty smart. But none of those are accolades that outside of Christ gives me an ability to do something on my own. I can only do it because of Jesus. So can you. And we all have an equal opportunity in the kingdom of God. Isn't that cool? 
Matthew 5, 15. Who would light a lamp and then hide it in an obscure place? Many of us are living in obscurity, but it's time to come out of obscurity. Today is a great day. No matter where you've been or what you've done, it's a great day to repent. Today's a great day to come home to the Father's heart and come out of obscurity. Instead, it's a place where everyone in the house can benefit from its light. Do you know that literally the city and the community around us will benefit from the light of Christ that's inside of us? Whether you're pastoring a church and owning a coffee shop or working in an office cubicle or working on a construction job site. You have an ability to influence anyone, whether you're in high school, junior high, whatever your age is, wherever you're at, wherever you're from. If you're working in a McDonald's drive-thru or a janitor where no one's seeing, you always have an ability to influence. It doesn't matter where you're at or what you do. God sees everything. Nothing can be hidden from his sight. How you live, I'm telling you, one of the best things you can do is push a mop here. No one's watching, but man, you are cleaning God's house, and it's an awesome feeling. Because God sees everything. You are influencers of change everywhere you go. You are a city on a hilltop, and you're the light of the world. So you're always giving out light. And my job right now is if you're living in darkness is to bring light to the darkness. I'm not going to teach on Ephesians chapter 5 right now, but there's a couple scriptures there that I've been meditating on a lot. In Ephesians 5, it says that the light, when the light comes, it makes all things manifest and exposes the darkness. Nothing can be made manifest without light. So if you start manifesting demonic stuff in your life, guess what's coming at you? The light. Darkness doesn't reveal darkness. Only light reveals darkness. So the more you manifest, the closer Jesus is. Are you combusting right now? Jesus is really close. This is an awesome reality. It means stuff's coming up and out of you. And then the devil comes along and says, look at you, you're such a failure, you're such a screw-up, condemn, 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 when Jesus is saying, no, I love you and I care about you, and I'm never going to give up on you. And that's what will cause you to change. See, rules and religion and more church and beating me over the head with the Bible didn't change my life. In fact, it made me want to run away. Am I the only one? But when God's love invaded my space... When God's mercy and grace of the love of a father invaded my space, because I was fatherless. And then it says that we're to expose wickedness and darkness. How do you expose wickedness and darkness? By being the light of the world. Light exposes the darkness. Okay? So let your shine bright. Let, so don't hide your light, verse 16. Let your let it shine brightly before others so that the commendable things you do will be shine, you do will shine as light upon them, and then they will give their praise to your Father in heaven. So it's time to shine bright. I know there's darkness. I get it. I battle the same darkness you battle. I meditated on crystals, tripped more acid than I can tell you, and ate mushrooms and slept around, and I did tarot cards and psychics, all that stuff. But when I shut the door, really when Jesus shut the door, and I understood the blood of Jesus and how I was reconciled back to God and who I was, and then I just kept the door shut, and then I chose to meditate on the truth and the power of who God was and fix my eyes on him, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, not to the things of this world. And guess what? Familiar spirits still come around all the time to try to get me to go back. Still, 28 years later, those little suckers still think they can get me back. You think I'm like super Mr. Supernatural Immunity guy? I'm not. That's what I want you to see. I said this Wednesday, I hate this design of a church where every, everybody's in a line looking at me. The original synagogues and temple was designed where we would all turn and see each other. This is not about me. This is us as a family. You can do it. Everybody say, I can do it. With the help of Jesus. Because he never gives up on me. If you're bored as a Christian... 
I just want to shake you up. We should never be bored. The problem is, is you, it's people like, man, God's so silent. Let me tell you, God is not silent. And if he is silent, he's just waiting on you to go get with him in the silence so that you can hear his voice. He's talking loud. I want to touch you with my fire, my presence, my power. Set you free. I wake you up. Uh, look at this great scripture. You're going to really like this. Proverbs 14, 34 through 35. A nation is exalted by the righteousness of its people, but sin heaps disgrace upon the land. How is a nation exalted? By the righteousness of his people. What makes you righteous? Period. Everybody say period. And because of love and because of my position on the cross, it produces something inside of me. But it only produces something inside of me because I was changed from the inside out. What's the difference between Christianity and all the other religions of the world? Everyone. Christianity is the only faith that the Spirit of God puts himself inside of you and changes you from the inside out. Otherwise, you're just taking lots of baths that do no good. There's no higher form of attainment and enlightenment and you get a better status in heaven. It's surrender and die now and let Jesus put himself inside of you. That's the essence of the gospel. He did what you could never do. And he saved you from the death and destruction for your sinful ways. It's powerful. This is awesome. Woo! You guys should be so lit up right now. So what will exalt a nation? The righteousness of its people. Are there any righteous people in America? 100,000 people last Saturday repenting. What does God look for? Authenticity of the heart. Not a nice, pretentious, religious, good pastor, nice church thing. I don't want any more nice Christians. Just manifest. Get it out. I tell people all the time, look, if you want to cuss me out, just cuss me out. I can handle it. None of that stuff sways me. I came right out of that. I don't have anything to protect. It's the religious pretension that drives me nuts. I don't want you to fake it till you make it. We have to have honest, reality-based conversations. But we have to do it in love. Because Jesus did it in love. So I want to see our nation exalted. Let me just tell you this right now. I'm not going to vote for anybody because I like them. I'm not voting for a hometown hero because I like them. I vote based on policy. There are a lot of things that our current president says and has even done that I'm like, what in the world is he thinking? But the policy is what I'm looking for. If I said to you all right now, listen to me, because I'm not going Democrat or Republican here. My dad taught me always vote straight Republican ticket since the day I voted. But when I got born again, I looked at policy. Could you imagine if I only chose to pastor you if I liked you? I probably wouldn't even be pastoring any of y'all. <laughs> wow, maybe I need to re-say that. I don't even know how to re-say it. You see what comes up and out of my heart? <laughs> All right, I might like some of you. How's that? No. But see, the problem is, is you look at things you like and don't like when you need to look at policy. One of, these, one of the things that our church is going to do is we're going to provide you all with voters' guides in the next few weeks. And for local elections, like city council members and the mayors. Okay? And so, because we have some great candidates running for mayor. But you need to look at policy. You need to look at what do they stand for. Do they stand for biblical principles and want to shift the moral compass of our city spiritually? Because that's what I'm about. That's what God's about. Because I'm going to fight for the voiceless. 
I want to fight for the fatherlessness, for the, those that don't have fathers. I want to fight for marriages. Not just to make this place a better place, but so that God's will can be done in the lives and hearts of people and we can rescue people so that you don't live the way I lived. It's not all about you and doing whatever you want to do and destroying people's lives. It's about bringing healing and strength to other people's lives. You have a call from God to do that. You have a call from God just like I did. It's all over you. You are a great influencer of change. You're going to get there. You're on the right track. And it's going to be awesome. People are going to listen to what you have to say. And so I, uh, I know that God will do great things if we make the choice to surrender our lives to Jesus and let, what Jesus, let Jesus do what Jesus does best, right? Verse 35, a wise and faithful servant receives promotion from the king, but the one who acts disgracefully gets to taste the anger of the king. So I want to help people stop acting disgracefully, and me too. But it can only happen when we're fascinated with the Lord, and we know what Jesus wants to do and say. And so for me, when it comes to the elections, I mean, I get it. Like the, the um, debate, that was so hard for me. Like, it was really hard for me on all fronts. On all three parties, okay? The narrator to the moderator too. All I was like, I can't even take this anymore. But see, there's things that I know are very important to God that are very important to me. And I make it very clear. <clears throat> Did you know that every hour there are 96 abortions? Did you know for every 1,000 babies born alive, there are 286 abortions? Did you know that since Roe versus Wade was passed in 1973, there's been 62 million abortions? If you, have you guys heard of the worldometer? It like tracks COVID. It tracks all these different things. It has one for abortion. There were 32.5 million abortions this year already. I'm not okay with that. And I understand. We all know people that were raped or maybe somebody that was raped. But I can also find you thousands and millions of stories of even people where the mother chose to protect the life. And now that person is a great person of influence because their mom saved them. And so I'm, I look at policy. We have candidates. One is very liberal and one is conservative. And not every conservative honors the Lord with their life, so that you know. So I don't vote straight Republican or Democrat. I vote based on what I believe the Lord is saying based on biblical standards. If I said to you, this church right now, man, Joe Biden's my guy, half of you would probably leave. If I said Donald Trump's the man, maybe not half of you, but a lot of you would leave. <laughs> Some of you. And I don't need to do either of that. It's probably not going to be that difficult to know who I'll be voting for, but I will be voting. And you should too. And don't do it based on preference and likes or dislikes. Do it based on policy. And I'm talking about our mayor race. Because we have a hometown hero running for mayor. I know her. She's super sweet. She's been to this church. But she's not the only one running, and I am going to be looking at record, viewpoints, positions. Trust me, since COVID happened, God somehow used me and a couple other pastors to organize about thir over 30 pastors for the Corpus Christi Pastors Council. Guess who's calling me a lot right now? Politicians. It's election season. They all want your vote and think I'm going to influence you to vote for one person or not. And guess what? When they're calling me to say, hey, I really want to influence you, I already know who's influencing who. Yep. 
Chances are highly likely we have both Democrats and Republicans that attend this church. Nueces County is a highly Democratic county. What I'm saying to you is, number one, we don't live with any entitlement because we're born again. You can't be a victim and a son at the same time. And don't believe everything the media says, period, for anybody. Do your research and study your facts. And we're not victims. And nobody owes you anything or me anything. My tax, my tax refund or the stimulus check, I'm like, oh, thanks for giving me back what was mine to begin with. <laughs> you didn't do me any favors. We are at a critical crossroads, but this nation belongs to the Lord. I'm so fired up and excited. I hate the division. I hate the killing. I hate the murdering. I hate the racial divide. I hate the sin in our land. I hate prostitution, human trafficking, and I hate pornography because I believe pornography fuels human trafficking. And it's so seductively addictive to people's lives. It's so destructive. I've been there. I've looked at it. I've seen it in my past, and I hate it, and I don't ever want it, ever. And they're all sinful to God. The racial divide, sex before marriage, all that is sinful. And if you're living with somebody and you're not married and you're having sex, either get it right or break up. And I love you and I'll even help marry you. I've married many a couple here that are sleeping together when they come. Many. And I love you. I'll be patient with you. Hear the voice of the Lord. I don't want you to get married just because you're sleeping together. You got pregnant. I want you to get married because you love that person and you know God's leading you to be with that person. And if he's not, adios. Say bye-bye. Seriously. There's grace and patience, love and mercy. But we have an ability to change the city. We are called Rock City, the city built on the rock. If you call this church your home, then you are here to make a difference and a change and to get fired up. And I'll be patient with you. Won't I? I'm looking right at you because you've bombed it a lot since you've been here, but now you're closer to the Lord than you've ever been and your husband, which I told you that. It's going to be exciting. I can't wait to stand at the altar on your wedding day. It's going to be epic. I'll believe that for every single person here, all y'all. And I hope you can meet somebody here that's fired up and prays in tongues and is fired up for the Lord. I hope that. And if they're not, bring them to me and we'll get them born again and flamed on. (laughs) I'm going to leave you with these last set of scriptures because this is pretty epic. I'm going to have a lot of fun with this. We're going to enjoy this and we're going to pray and we're going to go be with our families. Or we're going to actually, we're having a take root meeting today. Yeah, I forgot about that. All right. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 9 through 21. Whether we live or die, we make it our life's passion to live our lives pleasing to the Lord. No matter what happens, we make it our passion to live pleasing to the Lord. For one day, everybody say one day. day. We will all be openly revealed before Christ on his throne so that each of us will be duly recompensed for our Actions done in in life, whether good or worthless. Let me say something about this. If God, if I don't repent, I'll be held for every bad thing I've ever done. If you repent now, what do you get? Forgiveness. So God's not going to forgive you now and then, then stand there with a checklist of every bad thing you did because he forgave you. But if you choose to live obstinate and disobedient and in wickedness and not repent, it's going to be a bad day for you. So let's have a good day now. Okay? Next verse. Since we are those who stand in holy awe of the Lord, we make it our passion to persuade others to turn to him. We have an obligation because it's a passion to reconcile others back to God. That excites me. It should excite you. Next verse. We know that our lives are transparent before the God who knows us fully, and I hope that we are also well known 
to your consciousness. Now, this is the Apostle Paul talking to the Corinthian church. He says, I hope that we're well known to your conscience. Verse 12. We know that, our, again, we are not taking an opportunity. That's okay. <laughs> Maybe I'll stick to my screen over here. Again, we're not taking an opportunity to brag, but giving you information that will enable you to be proud of us and to answer those who esteem outward appearances while overlooking what is in the heart. I don't make it my ambition for you to be proud of me. That's, but I hope that you're proud of me. I'm proud of the people that I choose to look up to and follow. I hope that you will be parents that your children will look up to and be proud to call you mom and dad, right? But I love this. He says, I'm actually giving you information that will enable you to be proud of us and to answer those who esteem outward appearances while overlooking what's in the heart. One thing that we should all be focused on is dealing with heart issues, not out, outward appearances. If we're out of our minds in a blissful divine ecstasy, it's for God. But if we are in our right minds, it's for your benefit. What does it mean to be out of your mind in a blissful divine ecstasy? It means to have supernatural encounters with God that rock your world, and it's better than an LSD trip. I used to have these crazy trips where I thought I could, you know, I'd have these out-of-body experiences or shoot lightning bolts from my fingertips while I'm tripping on acid or high as a kite. Today, I have divine encounters with the living God where I weep and I snot and I cry and I lay out on my face and I feel God's pleasure and delight and they wreck me and they rock me because I'm hungry and I'm desperate and I'm thirsty for it. And it's those things that I do in private that ultimately get revealed in public. But sometimes they happen in public. Like the last time Prophet Kevin Leal was here, you might remember on a Sunday night when I got the microphone, he's like, well, do the transition or something. I started to talk. I start weeping. I couldn't stand. My legs give out. I fall to the ground. I'm bawling my eyes out on the ground in front of all of you. Then all the men come up and lay hands on me and start singing songs over me. And I felt like I was having an out-of-body experience right there, levitating. But I was in divine bliss and ecstasy with the Lord. That's the best way that I could explain it to you. I want you to have those because if that happens to you, it's for the Lord. But could you imagine if I walked up to you all the time, drunk in the spirit, praying in tongues, and I can't talk and I can't think? That wouldn't benefit you. you we might have some fun, and that happens sometimes. But in general, this is what benefits you. But there's got to be more. There's got to be more for all of us. Verse 14, for it is Christ's love, I, man, underline this, highlight it, write it down. This is beautiful. For it is Christ's love that fuels our passion and motivates us because we are absolutely convinced that he has given, us, that he has given his life for all of us. God's love motivates me. It fuels the fire of my life because I'm convinced of what Jesus did on the cross. This means all died with him so that those who live should no longer live self-absorbed lives, but lives that are poured out for him, the one who died for us and now lives again. So our lives should be lived, poured out for Jesus. Most people, most Christians will not live in this level of intensity and passion. And don't, let, don't just let me be the guy. It's us as a family. So then, from now on, we have a new perspective that refuses to evaluate people merely by their outward appearances. For that's how we once viewed Jesus, but no longer do we see him with limited human insight. If anyone is enfolded into Christ, he's become an entirely new creation. All that is related to the old order is vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. And God has made all things new and reconciled us to himself and given us the ministry of reconciling others to God. In other words, it was through the anointing with Jesus that God, is, that God was shepherding the world, not even keeping record of their transgressions. And he has entrusted to us the ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God. 
We are ambassadors of the anointed one who carry the message of Christ to the world as though God were tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips. God is pleading through you to reconcile people back to him. He's pleading through me today. You know what it means to be reconciled? It means to balance the books. It means to make to bring you back to him and make every crooked path straight. And it's powerful because verse 21 says, for God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us so that, that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union together with him. So I'm made righteousness not by how good I am, but my union together with him. And then that produces something in my life. So I love all of you. I know that was a lot to read. But we have a ministry of reconciliation. It means my job is to bring my aunt through love back to the Lord to who she was always intended to be, whatever that looks like. I don't try to conform her to be something I want her to be or to look like the church wants her to be. I want her to be what the Lord wants her to be. Same for you and for you, whatever that looks like. That's full of divine giftings and callings and power and signs and wonders and divine ecstasy. And you don't even have to take ecstasy. (laughs) So I know I gave you a lot today. But what I want to say is the righteousness of God's people exalts a nation. The United States of America is going to be exalted. It already has been. One of the wealthiest nations, if not the wealthiest nation in the world. It gives away a lot of foreign aid. It helps a lot of people. It's, there is true religious liberty and freedom in this nation. But it has a lot of things in it that I'm fighting against, and you should too. Last election, 30 million, American, 30 million Christians did not vote. You know why? Because they didn't like either of the candidates. Can't do that. So as we go headlong, pray. Let's pray right now. I'm going to pray for you. If you, are, if you have been distant from the Lord, living contrary to God's design and plan, great news. Mercy and grace is available for you right now. And if you want to keep doing the right thing when you leave here today, great news. Jesus does too, and he will help you. You can't do it on your own. You can't behavior modify yourself to be a better person. You can only just die now. So let's pray. And then we're going to pray for our nation and our president together. Lord, I just thank you so much for everybody that's come here today. And we repent. Let's just repent together. If there's things in your life that you know aren't right, just tell them. Say, Lord, I repent. And then you can just talk to them in your heart for a moment about the things, anything. Fears, worry, anxiety, doubt, compromise, sexual things, whatever it is. Just give it all to the Lord right now. And be reconciled back to God. Because he'll take you right now. He takes you just as you are. Just tell him, Lord, take me just as I am. Have mercy, Jesus. Have mercy, God. Father, I want to thank you so much for your forgiveness that is here today, that as we've all come to seek you, you can be found. I thank you, Lord, that we can buy bread and wine and milk and honey, even when we don't have money. We make a great exchange today, Lord, and we give you our hearts. Just tell them, Lord, I give you my heart. Take me just as I am. Thank you for the cross, Lord. The good news of the gospel. Woo! You rescued us when we were destitute and hopeless, fatherless. Lord, you're so good. Rescue everybody here today, God. Put a yes in all of our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that you put us in a righteous position. 
by your death on the cross. And now, Lord, may that produce a work in us that's full of love to love others right and do no harm. Lord, we just pray for our nation and our city. Lord, as we are going to elect a new mayor and city council members, Lord, every decision being made, everything that's on the ballot, Lord, I pray that you'd give us wisdom on how to vote. I pray you would show us, Lord, who your divinely appointed people are and what's of you and what's not of you. And I thank you, God, that our city will live up to its namesake as the body of Christ. And I thank you, God, that you're going to reconcile those that don't know you back to you. And that's my prayer for everybody here watching and all over this community. I pray that we would all step up to our civil responsibilities and make a difference in this world around us. Lord, we pray over this presidential race. We pray right now, God, that the person that you ordain and appoint and anoint would be in office. That's what we want, God, and that, Lord, the hearts of these candidates would know you, run to you, lean on you, and truly love you. And we pray, God, for President Trump as he's in the hospital with COVID, Lord, we ask for a divine intervention and a healing for him and every other senator and governmental official that has COVID, God, we ask for healing right now. And we pray that he would have such an encounter of your perfect love and divine revelation that would change his life. Touch him, Lord, in a mighty way. And show us all, Lord, who you want in position and how to vote in this next month. And I thank you, Lord God, for raising up a kingdom in this nation, a great nation that loves you and honors you and will live for you. Drive out the wickedness in the land and forgive me and forgive us in any area of our lives where we have lived contrary to your design and lived in sin and compromise. Have mercy. I speak mercy and grace over this entire church. God, I thank you that every time we come to you, you receive us and love us and wash us and cleanse us because you gave yourself for us. Lord, I ask for supernatural outpouring, divine encounters, dreams, signs, wonders, visions, miracles, freedom, healing, deliverance. I ask that you would reach down and invade all of our spaces in the night, through our dreams, Lord, in, our, in the day, through your voice. I ask that we'd see your footsteps in front of us always at all times. Open our eyes wide open to experience your grace and your love and your mercy and your power. And I bless everybody here with great growth, with water, fertilizer, stirring the soil, stirring your heart, and that you would grow into beautiful gardens and become everything your Father wants you to be. I bless you mightily today. In Jesus' name, amen.